Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode 451 of the podcast and it's Friday 20th of September 2019 as I record this back in Bath after a lovely weekend in Lisbon. So today I'm talking to Jen Loudon, who specialises in self-care and writing retreats. And she's learned a lot about writing over the years and she shares some hard-won insights in this interview, including being on Oprah, which didn't quite turn out how you might expect. Oh my gosh, the, being on Oprah was set, probably sent me into about a two-year depression. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to be on and have her ordain me. I wanted her to bless me with the oil of Oprah and say, you are enough and your work is great. So that interview is coming up. But first of all, in publishing and book marketing news. So big news this week and something that has been talked about amongst the community, which is Publish Drive has announced a new pricing model. Now, at first, when I read the um, blog post and press release, I was quite shocked. Shocked was actually the word because for the last decade of being an indie, the model of distribution has been it's free to publish and you pay a percentage of royalties to the distributor. And that's the model that Amazon, Kobo, Apple and companies like Smashwords and draft to digital have always used. And that is how Publish Drive started out. But now they are changing their model and they're offering a new way where you pay a flat fee per month, depending, and it depends on how many books you have, and you get 100% of the royalties collected. So obviously those main stores will still collect their percentage, but you won't have an amount taken out for published drive. So I spoke to Kinga Gentetics, who's been on the show, the CEO, about this, and to try and clarify what this was about, because we've had many companies over the years who have moved, well, who have offered a service model, but it's been really expensive and essentially has not necessarily been a great deal for authors. So I was like, I need to figure out where this fits because this is is a new idea to me. So uh, I talked to Kinga and I definitely feel happy with what they're doing. Basically, Publish Drive no longer considers itself an ebook an ebook distributor. It is now software as a service. Um, so software as a service, which is paying a monthly fee for services that you get. Many of us do this for all kinds of services that we use as authors. Um, so this is payment for the many tools that Publish Drive now offers rather than a percentage of royalties. You have access to the analytics, the ad tools, promotions, and there um also the new abacus team royalty splitting which many people have um jumped on which you don't even need to use publish drive to actually use um so all of those are essentially paid services uh they do have a free baseline for one book but then it goes up from there so i've been puzzling on this because essentially it might not be a great fit for some authors but for other authors who go all in it is a great model because obviously if you are selling a lot of books every month on all of these different platforms then uh, it will be better for you to pay a monthly subscription rather than pay per per book so they have all the maths there so you can work out if you're a good fit for it um certainly it means that you want to be actively using the tools that they offer. So I think it's really interesting. I think after a decade of kind of being used to the model of uh, percentage royalties going to a distributor, this is something different. Um, now, I use Publish Drive for Google Play and the Chinese ebook stores, as well as Eastern European stores. But I'm still on Apple and Kobo and Amazon Direct, as well as 
draft to digital for other sales. So I'm obviously going to think about my situation. My situation will be different to your situation because essentially everyone is different. (laughs) And I've been doing this a decade, as you know. And I just, you know, whenever a new provider has appeared, I've put my books on another provider. So yeah, this is really interesting. So we shall see what Publish Drive come up with in the coming months. Um, But I am certainly on the platform and interested to see what's going to happen. In other news this week, a article went viral from a traditionally published author uh, on essentially losing a third of a million dollars without really trying. <laughs> that was her title, excellent clickbaity title there. Um, and essentially, she talks about not understanding the reality of money in the publishing world. She kind of thought that because she got an amazing deal, that every deal subsequently would be better. And so she spent the money and didn't put enough aside. And But it went the other way. It spiraled downwards, as um, many authors do. Essentially, if you don't earn out, then the next advance will be lower and lower and so on. Uh, She says just a couple of quotes from the article, which is on Medium. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes as ever. She said, how would my life be different if a fellow writer or someone in the industry had told me that the money I'd be receiving for my advances was absolutely no indication of what I could make on future book deals? So much of an aspiring writer's life is focused on getting that first deal. Did anyone tell me that a staggering advance was nothing I should, was not something I should depend on or get used to. In fact, it's extraordinarily common in the publishing industry for untested debuts to be paid large sums they will never see again. Did the MFA in writing program I was part of in any way arm me with the knowledge to protect and advocate for myself in the publishing world? No. The range of my advances advances has gone from 75,000 per book to 20,000 per book over five years. So I wanted to bring this up. Well, one, loads of people talking about it and in the traditional author sphere and also the indie author sphere. Um, and what I would say is, seriously, this is a business. <laughs> and I do hope that you guys are arming yourselves with the knowledge and empowerment to protect yourselves. Um, I hope I've done that over the years. Obviously, Dean Wesley Smith, Christine Catherine Rush, the Alliance of Independent Authors, uh, and a number of other people, you know, we all try to educate you on the possibilities of this kind of thing and have talked about traditional publishing as well as indie. So talking of Dean Wesley Smith, he did post, he's posted two articles uh, in response to that one, comparing the financial approaches of traditional publishing versus indie publishing. And essentially saying, yes, obviously traditional publishing, you can get this spike income and then a decline or disappearance of income um, and you don't get the book back or any other revenue from it. Whereas being an indie, you get lower amounts per book, but for the long term. And after a year's, number of years of production, indie um, you know, wins for revenue and control But of course, remember that Dean, and I think this is the important point, I can say things based on my decade of being a happy indie and eight years full time now, which is kind of crazy. In fact, it's more than a decade. Ah, oh, it's 13 years of writing and uh, eight years of doing this full time. And essentially, I have uh, I have had traditional publishers for foreign rights deals, but I have still not uh, chased a traditional publishing deal, let alone had one um, in English. And so, but Dean and Chris Rush and uh, Orna Ross, for example, and lots of other people I've had on the show have had traditional publishing deals. So listen to Dean um, and go read these posts. Uh, One's called The Math and the other one is um, a subsequent post about math, which I'll link to in the show notes. And really talking about, well, here are the realities of it. Uh, I don't think there really is any excuse anymore for not being educated about this stuff. You just have to find it out. And we're authors, we're readers, and there are books on every single aspect of money. And uh, she talks about, you know, coming from a what we would call working class family, where she wasn't educated about money. I wasn't educated about money either. And uh, being um, generation, what am I? (laughs) Generation X, (laughs) Jex, with boomer parents, you know, boomer parents who had jobs, got great 
pension benefits, um, jobs that don't even exist anymore. But I don't even have that, you know, so I do my own investing, my own um, pensions. This is not a financial show, but um, just a few books I wanted to mention if you haven't got to grips with money. And I don't think it matters whether the money comes from a book deal or from a job or from a side hustle or from anything. Money is money, money. you know, you have to learn to manage money. So um, I recommend if you really are ground zero, I still recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad. I think it's great. Changed my life back when I was about 24. Um, The Cashflow Quadrant is the one after that. So these are Kiyosaki's books. The Cashflow Quadrant is the book that convinced me I needed to have my own business. And uh, so I started my first business again, well, at this point, 20 years ago, started my first business. And I've had a lot of businesses over the years. But this particular business, obviously, I've had for 10 years. And uh, it was probably my sixth or seventh business. Uh, but yeah, the cash flow quadrant really convinced me on that. And then the third book, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, which I'm actually listening to on audiobook at the moment. Uh, I've read it before, but I'm listening to it again because it's really good to come back to these principles over time. Also, Tony Robbins, Unshakable, which I've mentioned before. And of course, all those books are very American centric. And if you are not in America, you have to switch them around to your own uh, legal situation. So obviously, in the UK, things are called different stuff. But the principles are still the same. And also, I have a book too, Business for Authors, How to Be an Author Entrepreneur. And that was based on 13 years as a business consultant and essentially is all about how business works and why publishing is not that different. So, yeah. I really hope that some of those help you. Uh, Of course, Business for Authors is in audiobook and I narrated it. So you can get that all the usual places. So it is time to get empowered. And uh, I hope you feel more empowered listening to this show about publishing, about writing, but also knowledge about money is so important to be empowered about. So in futurist news, very exciting this week. Two companies I have raved about in the last few months have merged. So Descript, which I mentioned um, after podcast movement and I have been using for the last month, uh, has bought Lyrebird, which I mentioned in my AI show back in episode 437 on voice synth. So basically Descript is it's just fantastic, right? So you upload your audio and it, it does tran- transcription, but also enables you to edit the audio file by editing the transcription. And you can copy snippets of text and, and that will copy snippets of audio, which is how I did the gen uh, snippet at the beginning of this show. I'm so thrilled about this. I've wanted to do this for ages, but doing it the old manual way was just a pain in the neck. So I love Descript. Um, of course, I have an affiliate link thecreativepen.com forward slash descript although it looks and you get a hundred minutes of of free transcription but it looks like uh, transcription is free anyway so (laughs) regardless but check out descript Um, but then Lyrebird, so I mentioned that um, because they have been working on voice synth, so making voices uh, AI voices sound natural and what they've done their first product together is called Overdub or it's a feature of Descript which means as a podcaster you can type what you need so let's say I I say um, you know uh, Rachel was born in 1968 and then later on I need to change that I could say um, I could just type Rachel was born in 1970 so change the year and it will generate the voice to replace that word so I don't have to come back into my little studio and re-record it in order to fix it. So at the moment it's just this tiny little snippets of voice and it also they have a really big thing about ethics so it's only your voice so you can't download this audio and do overdub using my voice uh, with their software so they've got a huge page on ethics they're very concerned about deep fakes but Uh, I'm obviously excited about this because I've talked about it. And when I went on to read more details, I found this uh, submit a use case button. And so I submitted a use case, which is, you know, tech speak for give us an example of something you want to do. And they have something in development called voice double. And I'm very excited about that. It sounds 
like what I have said that I want, which is a voice double, which is an AI that doubles for my voice that I can narrate with. So we shall see. But they've just got some massive funding and uh, they it's the guy behind Groupon who is behind Descript. So this is not just a tiny little company with no future. This is a very well-funded AI-based company. So definitely have a look at Descript if you're interested in transcription, let alone anything else. So my personal update this week, uh, I had a great time in Lisbon, as I mentioned, the weather was perfect. It was just lovely, so in a 30 degrees centigrade, perfect for eating and drinking outside on the rooftop bars and restaurants overlooking the city and the river. And of course, book research, including finding some Peruvian mummies in a library behind a ruined convent. So I'll see if I can get that into a book. You can find my article about it with pictures and thoughts from the trip at booksandtravel.page forward slash Lisbon. L-I-S-B-O-N, links in the show notes. Also on Books and Travel podcast this week, Jay Thorne talks about travelling by Amtrak train across the USA, why he loves travelling by train uh, in a land dominated by cars, and his best, most scenic routes, as well as recommendations for uh, how to travel on the Amtrak. Also this week, I posted my eight years author entrepreneur lessons learned post. I do this every single year, have done since I left my job. And uh, you can find everything at thecreativepen.com forward slash timeline. Uh, You can find everything since 2008 when I started the blog. Um, But this year, my main lesson was write, publish, repeat is not enough for me. It's time to fully embrace the multi-passionate creative career. And essentially, you've probably already, you know this if you've been hanging around the show for a while, I'm not someone who just wants to write books and put them on Amazon, you know, and I know you can be a happy writer and make a great living by writing fast in the same genre, publishing quickly and focusing on Amazon sales, but it's not for me. And I've spent so long, you know, reading The One Thing by Gary Keller and knowing that I, or thinking that I should focus more, that I should stop spreading myself too thin, that I should double down on one genre and own a niche. And I've tried and tried to fit myself into this box. But last year, so this time last year in 2018, I just felt like things were stagnating. I was bored. I wasn't, I know how to do this. I know how to write books. I know how to publish them. I know how to do book marketing. And although I love the uh, process of writing and I love putting books out into the world, I just felt like what you know this can't be it this can't be all there is i just don't want to just do that and so i started to look for other things i didn't want this to turn into another job and so i followed my curiosity and this last year has been pretty fantastic i have uh, jumped into ai as you know i've looked at um i've done voice coaching for audiobook narration i've tra- traveled more because i said no to speaking this year I have been traveling more for book research. I've been learning new things. I've been doing courses, going to uh, events. And I just, yeah, I feel like this year has been fantastic. I've expanded my creative world as such. And the ways I can create have changed. And I've also learned more about productivity. It's less about the to-do list and more about spending time on the things that I really want to achieve. And yes, so also uh, I measure my life by what I create, but what I create doesn't have to be just books. So this podcast and the blog and Books and Travel, the podcast and the articles there and AI and uh, everything that I'm doing, this is a new, it's almost like a new lease of life on my business and I'm just super excited. So obviously writing is the basis of everything I do. I'm reading, you know, I'm creating this audio from written notes. It will be a transcript with written notes. I create a book with dictation that I then edit into words and then I read it into words. So to me, the whole voice and words and everything comes back to words. It's just this can exist in audio and still be as creative as putting out a book. And I think many in the author community, you know, we can be guilty of thinking that the book is the be all and end all, whereas there can be so many more options for being creative. 
So I wanted to challenge you. Um, what are you doing right now because you think you should be doing it? And if you're not excited about your writing life, whatever stage you're at, what can you do to change things up so you regain that joy? and joy and excitement. I hope you felt that with me this year that really I, I've just, I have rediscovered my enthusiasm for so much. I just think we're at this cusp of a new exciting phase of development. Happy times, my friends. Right. Thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Quite a few of you have said um, that me talking about my shoulder and my posture has has uh, kicked a few of you into gear. Sophie um, Bouchayard says, inspired by the podcast this week, I finally made time to see a specialist about back problems I've been carrying around for almost three years. It feels like a good investment to support my daily writing practice. Fantastic. And Tony Lopez sent um, a picture. He said, thanks to your podcast and story about shoulder pain, I've used these drawers to raise my monitors for better posture. Not pretty, but my posture is a whole lot better now. I'm 44 and spending 18 years behind a computer, so I need this. Fantastic. I'm so glad. I always feel happy when my pain (laughs) helps other people. Um, uh, just a couple of oh thanks to Kay Vincent who sent me a weird memento mori picture from a church in Cheshire always appreciate that um, and also uh, oh Martha Knox said she gathered an idea from Going Wide podcast and also thought about Mike Shatskin's interview about Ingram Sparks ability to reach libraries colleges and bookstores the infinite bookshelf In each of these podcasts, I saw the bookshelf of the future with no boundaries other than electronic transfer. As a worldwide book publisher and indie author, my customer in Australia from Angus and Robertson, an overdrive reader at UK or EU Bookworm and a customer down the street in Missouri can read books. There are no physical boundaries to download and read a book. I am contemplating Africa next. China awaits. Thanks. Ah. That gives me chills, Martha. And I love that you say this is the infinite bookshelf of the future. But actually, this is now. This is what we are doing now. And I am I love that you have got this, that the penny has dropped on what this really means, the opportunities we have. And um, just circling back to that traditional publishing example, one of the, the very sad things I find about traditional publishing is that people sign worldwide English rights and a publisher does not publish in all these territories. Often they will sign away worldwide English and the book will only be available in a couple of territories. So if you are going to sign a contract with traditional publishing, and there's nothing wrong with that if you know what you're doing, then make sure you don't sign away the whole world unless they are going to publish in the whole world. Um, So thank you for all of that. Oh, and amusingly, just wanted to shout out to Carrie, who says she's spent the last couple of months jumping around the episodes of the last uh, few years on the creative pen. She says, I feel like I'm walking through history. (laughs) Um, I found much of the earlier information has transformed or become obsolete, which is fantastic. And this is obviously hilarious because over the years of doing this, the industry has changed so much. So yeah, (laughs) that's why I try and do craft episodes now and then because um, yeah, things change. (laughs) Okay. So today's show is sponsored by Readsy. Do you need an editor or a cover designer? Do you need help with marketing, publicity or your author website? Are you looking for a ghostwriter? Readsy is a curated marketplace for the professionals you need to help you on your author journey. You can search for what you need and know that everyone there has been vetted in advance. You can also find free courses on everything from craft to marketing to business. Plus, you can format your ebook for free with the Readsy Book Editor and find lists of book review blogs, book promotion sites, and more. Go to thecreativepen.com forward slash Readsy and check out the marketplace for curated professionals or the free courses and book formatting tools. That's thecreativepen.com forward slash Readsy, R E E D S Y. 
So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon, new and old supporters alike. Thanks to new patrons, John Bredesen, Carrie, Eric R. Taylor, Christine Shuck, Melissa Green and Lisbeth Meredith. I really do support I really do support. I do appreciate your support (laughs) on Patreon. Like the tweets and emails, it demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And you can support the show with a couple of dollars a month and you'll get the Q&A audio uh, every month. And I was really happy. Also got a comment this week. Um, A supporter said that a couple of years ago they started uh, supporting on Patreon and they used to listen to the Q&A and they didn't understand a lot of it. But now they know how much they've learned because they they get it. And uh, I love that. I mean, we all have to learn somehow, right? So uh, you can support the show just a couple of dollars a month at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get on with the interview. Jen Loudon is the international best-selling author of eight non-fiction books on well-being, whole living and creativity, as well as a coach, professional speaker and retreat leader. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. I love that international. It makes me feel like a spy or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're for sale here in the UK, so you're international. <laughs> I, I, I have in nine languages, so I think it's fair to say that. But I just love the way you said it. It made me feel really cool. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so you have been writing and publishing and doing all kinds of things for ages. So tell us a bit more about how you got into writing. Well, you know, one of those stories I always wrote or I always wanted to write. <laughs> I can remember sitting in high school and, you know, before uh, starting short stories, then, you know, occasionally finishing them. And I always was creative. I was always making movies and taking photographs. And, and to me, like being creative was the whole point of life. And I actually ended up at USC Film School and thought I would be a director, but realized pretty quickly I didn't quite have the uh, chutzpah for that. And then thought I'd be a cinematographer and realized I'm, I have a le- I have learning disabilities. And in the 80s, being a cinematographer was very, I mean, it is still really technical, but there was measurements and all kinds of things <laughs> I couldn't do. And uh, so I, I fell back on writing kind of almost like, well, this is something I can do. And I pursued screenwriting fairly unsuccessfully for a while. And out of that unsuccess, <laughs> that failure and that frustration came my first book in a really quite a beautiful moment of um, grace, the title came to me. And that started when that book became a bestseller. It really started my whole career. And I just kept following it wherever the next book idea led. And in, in case people don't know, what was that book title? Right, the, the Woman's Comfort Book. And that was published in 1992. It's still in print. It still sells a few thousand copies a year, uh, which I find amazing. And, I, and yeah, so it was it was really to me, when I look back on that time in my life and I look back on that title and I look back on what that book has done for so many women and for myself as well, I think it was my psyche speaking to me and saying, you need to learn how to be compassionate with yourself. You need to learn what healthy self-care is. And I was such a driven, ambitious 26-year-old that I think the only way my psyche was going to get across to me was if it was through doing something that would would get me out in the world. I wanted a career. I wanted to be a writer so badly. And it's interesting because I think the film school kind of screenwriting thing, I mean, that is pretty harsh. It's a harsh world, isn't it? Yeah, did did that kind of inform, it's almost the complete opposite to go into self-care. It, it is. It was. I think it beat me down. I was when I started at USC. I was 19. I'd never lived in a city. I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. I was so out of my element. I mean, I was surrounded by brilliant, ambitious people, and I was kind of a surfer chick from Florida. <laughs> so it was. Um, yeah, it was very hard. I didn't have the strength of character or the inner resources to really deal with it, and I went through a lot of depression and um, a lot of struggle. And I look back at that young woman, I think, oh, my gosh, I, I, I wish I could go give you a hug and tell you it's all going to be OK. But of course, we don't know that when we're 19. <laughs> no, we sure don't. Um, so it's interesting because, of course, you've been writing now, you know, for all these years. And 
yet, as as I know as well, um, we learn things as we go along. And, you know, I think when people are just starting out writing, they think, oh, you just learn this one set of things and that that's it. <laughs> so, so what have you learned about writing that might surprise people? You know, it, it, so I just literally before you called me, I sent off the almost final draft of my newest book to my editor. <laughs> I just pushed send and then sat back to talk to you. So what have I learned right this week? I learned how much I forget that I can trust myself. I forget. It's like we have amnesia. I completely when, when it, I had a week and a half to turn around the last edits and I went, oh, my God, I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. I'm going to completely blow it. I'm going to make it worse. Like it was as if I was that 19 year old young woman again, instead of someone who's been writing professionally you know, since the early 90s. And so I think that part of what we have to develop as writers that we don't really think about a lot is how to work with our minds and how to work with our hearts so that we can do the inner work in the midst of those moments of pressure, in the midst of those moments when the characters aren't talking to us or the ideas aren't flowing or the deadlines are really tight. And I didn't know that for a really long time. And I still forget it. And I went out for a run in the midst of all that. And sometimes before I go for a run, I run, you mostly run on trails and I live at elevation and, you know, it's fairly taxing. And I'll be like, I can't, I, I'll this low grade thought, I won't be able to do it this time. Like suddenly my legs aren't going to work or something. Now there's nothing at stake. It's just me going for a run. And I stopped in the middle of the run and went, oh, wow, I don't trust myself to show up and do the run. And it's the same thing with finishing this book. This, this last draft, I don't trust myself and really activating that, that self-trust, which I teach so much of, but, you know, uh, teacher, heal yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I think working with our minds, that's, I think, something we don't talk about maybe enough. Yeah, that's true. And it's interesting with trust because I totally agree with you, but if people are just starting out, how can they how can they trust themselves if you have if somebody listening has no reason to trust themselves yet they haven't proved to themselves any of their writing ability um how do they get past that i think the first thing is is you have to learn to every single day that you show up on the page to detach what you trust from what you create writing any kind of create, creative pursuit is completely, it, there's no standards. I, You and I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about our favorite books. And invariably, I will have a book that I'm like, oh my God, this book is so, uh, and you'll be like, you've got to be kidding me. You liked that? Oh, that was trash. I couldn't even get through it. So we, we're, we're working in a medium that has no standards, that has no there, there. If we put our self-trust, if we put our ability to show up over there, we're screwed we have to put it where we know we can trust ourselves. Can, can I trust myself to stay in the chair for an hour without clicking away to the news? Can I trust myself to calm my breathing down and really imagine what that room looked like? Hear the characters. Can I go back in time to that moment in my life I'm writing my memoir about and remember the, uh, you know, make an inventory of smells and sights and sounds? Yes, I can trust myself to do that. We have to learn to put our attention not on the output. I mean, not that we don't want to be brilliant. Of course we do. That's never going to go away. But if we keep focusing on that, oh my gosh, it is so impossible because what is brilliant? What is successful? What is enough? Mm. And it's interesting too, because you are a runner and you have a, a lovely picture on your website of you out for a run, and <laughs> which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I always really respect runners because I'm not a runner. And uh, I know that there are a lot of barriers to people running. And I feel that this is the same with writing. Um, so I wondered, since you are running is so much a part of your life, how does it relate to your both your creativity and your self-care? Well, I think the most important thing is I'm a new runner. I have not quite been running for four years. I started running when I moved to Colorado at the ripe age of 52 and um, and just completed and one third place in a, what they call a heavy half marathon at from running from Aspen, which is about 7,900 feet up to 10,000 and back down. Um, won a $75 gift certificate. All right, proud of that. I am so proud of that. Put my little ribbon on my uh, bulletin board. So it's very new to me. And what it has taught me is I can do so much more. I am capable of doing so much more. It's made me so much tougher. 
but not in a puffed up, you know, sort of push yourself until you, you know, fall over way, but in this steady, you know, stay, stay where your feet are. It's one of the things I learned from a running coach, stay where your feet are, stay where your words are. And it's taught me to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, you're, you're I'm running down that mountain in that, in that Aspen um, half marathon. And, you know, it, it's hot suddenly and it's an exposed hillside. And I'm looking down on this big giant airport filled with very rich people's private planes, which pisses me off because it's so bad for the planet to drive a plane, to fly a private plane. <laughs> and my knees are hurting. And I'm like, how can I be here with this and still find the pleasure in it, still find the interest and the joy that is directly transferred to my writing. Yeah. And, and like, this is the thing I, I don't have an issue with, but I struggle with, with self-care as well, which is that, um, you need some discipline to get past that pain. Like you need some discipline to get to the page. And yet the word discipline to me is like boot camp and drill instructor and it's not self-care. So how do we balance discipline? Like, come on, you have to do this with looking after ourselves. You know, I've tried to replace discipline with devotion. Can I find the love for my writing? And can I let that pull me forward instead of the sense of I have to do this or I'm a bad person? And I think the way self-care fits into that is that to me, what self-care is, is a deep appreciation for me exactly who I am and a welcoming of all my experience and my feelings Yesterday, I got a mean Facebook comment from someone. It doesn't happen to me very often at all. I think I'm so tough. I was so hurt. (laughs) And I went and laid down. It was about five o'clock. And I went and laid down in my bedroom and put my hand on my heart and just took deep breaths and just welcomed everything I was feeling, my anger, my wanting to go lash out, my hurt, my feeling exposed, all those feelings. And after a couple of minutes, I felt so much better. Um, So I think there's a way that when we can keep tasting self-care in a way that really helps us love who we are and the experience we're having, and we drop a lot of the cultural baggage. I mean, when I wrote that first book in 1992, nobody talked about self-care. You know, Oprah was still Jerry Springer. (laughs) And now it is it is a billion dollar plus industry. So it's got so much baggage around it. So we have to find what's fresh and true for us. And at its core, I think it's about how can I how can I be with myself and welcome myself as I am? And I love I don't know if you know the um, singer Lizzo. No. Oh, she, so she's a classically trained violinist who's become this female uh, rapper phenomenon in America. And I'm, I don't know about in the UK. And, um, and she's all about self-love and body positivity. And I was watching a video of her and it's just like, that, that's what self-care is to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think we can really tie with our writing, tie in with our writing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, it's interesting because you mentioned Oprah there and you've been on Oprah, which is very cool. And of course, everyone thinks that that is the moment you you are ordained. Everything in your, your life will be perfect for the rest of time. <laughs> and yet you're you're working on this new book, Why Bother, which from I haven't read it, but it seems to suggest that there are more lessons you've had to face as well. Oh, my gosh. The- being on Oprah was set, probably sent me into about a two-year depression. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to be on and have her ordain me. I wanted her to bless me with the oil of Oprah and say, you are enough and your work is great. And I was a guest for a segment. And so it, she, you know, she mentioned a book and she said something good about it. But I was just a cog in the machine. And what was great about it over time, but at the time was horrible, was it really made me start to realize that I had become someone because of the success of my first book who kept waiting to be chosen by Oprah, by Good Morning America, by the magazines, by my readers. And I lived that way for years. And it is a debilitating, awful way for me to live. And eventually I turned it around where I wanted to choose me and I wanted to grow a company, my little teeny tiny company that could support me, whether I was published or not, whether Oprah ever knew my name again and where I could talk directly to people. And I was lucky that I went online really early in 1999 and started an email list. So I had some um, early advantage, some of which I squandered, unfortunately. But 
I, it was the deeper, like I choose me. And that's really a story. That's a story and part of the why bother book. How do we choose ourselves when we find ourselves in these places of why bother? Wow. That's so interesting because that waiting for someone to, to ordain you Uh is so common. And it's, I think it's got a lot to do with imposter syndrome as well to feel like you're not, you're not enough. So how, how do we get over that feeling of we're, we're not enough? Well, you know, I, I, I have an online membership site and I create an audio for it every week. And I just was recording one this morning before we spoke. And I was reading some of the words of Sharon Salzberg, who is a American Buddhist meditation teacher in, in a variety of, she studied in a variety of disciplines or, or lineages, excuse me, but she teaches in um, Insight Meditation Center in Massachusetts. And, and one of her books is about faith which you don't think of as a word that has anything to do with Buddhism. Um, but she has all these wonderful interpretations of it. And one of her interpretations is faith in your deepest experiences. And so when I coach writers, uh, and I work a lot with uh, nonfiction writers, and they have this come up, like, who am I? And, you know, you can totally take a research-based approach, and that's very popular, and we see a lot of TED Talks with that. But you can also take an approach of these are my experiences and I offer them to you and I make these conclusions and you will make your own conclusions. And that's exactly what, for example, Buddhism has done for 2,500 years and we could name lots and lots of other traditions and philosophies. And when we claim those experiences and we offer them up in book form or ebook form or blog form or, or audio form and we say, this is my experience, what do you think? How can we be an imposter? The only way we can be an imposter is we don't go in and claim that experience honestly and then do our best to translate it into words. Now, I think that's sad, but how can your experience not be authentic? Yeah, I think you're right. You mentioned there that um, working with nonfiction writers, because I read a lot of nonfiction, and what Mm -hmm. I feel at the moment is that I don't want to read a nonfiction book unless it has some opinion and experience in. Like I was listening to an audio book and it was just too much science. They were just quoting. It wasn't a science book. <laughs> it was about walking. And it was it was just science, science thing after science thing after science thing. And I, I feel like maybe um, the nonfiction book market has really shifted to a, a mode now where, unless it's an academic textbook, you have to bring yourself. What, what do you think about that? I, I totally agree. I, I'm bored out of my brain. I won't read those books. I, I just like, I'm sorry, putting it down, putting it down. So, and it was, it was, I was having dinner with a, with friends of ours. It was about halfway through the writing process of this book. He's a professor up the road at CSU in political science. And he said, so, you know, or is this basically a story approach? You know, he didn't he didn't mean it in a in a dismissive way, but he was basically asking, like, which way are you going? I said, totally. This is a story approach. This is my story of so many why bother moments in my life, including a very long, dark stretch about 10, 11 years ago. And and then there, and then I have been teaching for all these years. So I have lots of stories of, of clients and students and, I, and I'm bringing those in for other perspectives, not as proof. But like if, you know, from from different perspectives, different lives to say, you know, hey, if you can't relate to me, you might be able to relate to this. And here's some conclusions. Here's some things to try. And that's what I've done with all of my books. And I think that I think we're hungry for that. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And but the problem that people have, of course, is where's the line between what is personal to me, what will help other people, what might really offend people I love, and also that fear of judgment, which is something mm-hmm. I really, I really struggle with. Um, yeah, so how, 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 have, how have you dealt with that? Or has it, you know, it must have come up in your other books as well. You know, I think I have the kind of personality that doesn't really mind. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not an extrovert. I am an introvert. But I don't mind being seen. I don't mind sharing my story. I don't mind being vulnerable. I think for me, it is maybe because of some early experiences in my life and learning disabilities and such. I have claimed so much of what I would think of sort of the ugly, dented, hard parts of me that they feel very familiar and comfortable to me. So I don't have that struggle as much. But what I do say to my, my, my students or my clients when that comes up is, Think about the way you've been impacted by other people's vulnerable stories. 
have they changed you? Would you like to be able to try to offer that to someone else? And then the other thing I say is don't write those and share those stories if you're still hurting from them, if you haven't done your inner work, because then you're sharing them as like, look how bad I am or look how damaged I am or please save me. And that is not good for anybody. Yeah, I agree. It can't be therapy. Um, no. And and I, I've shared a lot of my personal stuff, but I, I've i got another site now, another podcast called Books and Travel, and I'm sharing things I've never shared on this show. Oh, and cool. It's like a whole nother side of me. And you kind of realize that there's different parts of your life that sure. you might might not have revealed. So um, I think that's very interesting. Now, you we've talked there about um, sort of ordaining yourself and not waiting to be picked. And you've decided to publish this book in a different way. So tell us about your decisions around this? Well, this book has taken years to write, although the actual book itself, once it gelled, has only taken me about seven months. But I have started so many books that haven't worked. And that includes four years and 500 pages of trying to write a traditional memoir with this material that completely failed in every way that I tell my (laughs) students not to do. And then I tried after that, after I realized that was a no-go, I tried to resurrect it in a different form. And that was called um, Lessons the Self-Help Guru Had to Teach Herself. And I took a bunch of self-help tropes, like everything happens for a reason, and home is where the heart is and things like that, and tried to take the memoir and put it into sort of these, this is what I learned about this trope. And I wrote, I thought, a killer book proposal for it, sent it to my agent, who's a big time agent now, and I haven't given her a book in years and she turned it down. And I went for a run and I went, I'm not going to let anybody dim my shine. I'm not going to let anybody decide. There's no problem. I'll go get another agent. And then I'm, but I'm going to work on it some more. Maybe I'll self-publish it. So I worked on it for about another month and it totally fell apart. <laughs> Thank God she <laughs> didn't take it. And I just realized I was forcing it into an idea and a form. And it just, it wasn't authentic. It wasn't real. And then I had a conversation with my friend, Janet Goldstein, who I've known since the very beginning of my publishing career. She was my first editor's boss. And we stayed in touch. She's an independent publishing consultant now. And she just said, you know, she read the book proposal. She's told me, yeah, it doesn't work. But what's fresh for you now in this material? And that's when the why bother came out. And I said, I want to help women and men and and people who are in this time of why should I bother, whether it's about a particular thing in their life or their whole lives. And then the whole thing just gelled together. But then while that was happening, I realized I didn't want to go back into that place of waiting for someone to choose me because the whole pub, the whole thing with my agent really triggered those old sort of Oprah memories. And, and I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to wait years to get the book out because you know how slow it is. Mm. I mean, just getting the agent to respond took like six weeks to get my own agent to respond. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. So I decided right then and there I would self-publish. And then the, then the, sto- then the question was, how? How did I want to do it? And because I do have a, a pretty tremendous track record, luckily, with these books, I decided to go with a publishing um, consultant, page two books. They're out of Vancouver. And basically, you hire them to act like your publisher. They do great design and editing. And, and then the decision was, do I want to just go to ebook or do I want to actually print books and put them in the bookstore. And the book reps are, are pretty excited about the book. So I've decided I'm going to take the risk and I'm going to just, it'll look like, just like a regular book out there in the bookstores and print form. And I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I'm also like, yes, Jen, show up for yourself. And so I'm trying, you know, not taking money out of savings and working extra hard to front, you know, make the money now and you know, running my different programs and things. And, um, just trying to be really smart about it. But, um, and then like, yeah, the other day I was like, oh my God, what if like Oprah picked it for her book club? You know, <laughs> the still come, and I have to like pay to print all those copies. How am I going to do that? <laughs> and I'm like, Jen, as if you will have that trouble, don't worry about it. <laughs> or, or at that point you go back to your agent and you say, I want to license this for print and, uh, th- they'll be very happy to take it. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. I'll call you and I'll, you'll tell me exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, this is, I think this is very interesting because you're, this is something you, you haven't self-published before, right? Mm-mm. No, I've been published by Harper. I've been published by Random House. Um, I've been published by Source. I've been published by Life, by National Geographic, by New World Library. Um, so midsize and, and big five, but never, ever thought about doing it myself. 
Yeah, which I think is really exciting. And and you have you have an audience. You have people who love your books. You have people who love your retreats, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But um, I wondered, uh, so you're not putting it out for a while. So you're not, as we speak, uh, you know, if once it's ready, you're not just going to upload it and then that's it. So what are some of the things that you're going to do in terms of marketing the book? Oh, yes. So I've been so immersed in writing it. I have not made my marketing plan yet. But the few the few ideas I have um, that are, you know, and the list that I started, the document I've started, obviously, will will concentrate strongly on podcasts um, by looking for people in my audience and looking where they've been. So people, you know, we might call those comp titles that I think, yeah, that's my audience. Those are people that my people also listen to and looking for what podcast they've been on pitching those, putting together a really systematic way to do that. I'll probably hire someone to help me with that. It's not a great strength of my present team. Um, they do a little bit of that for me, but they're not, but not probably a full, a full on PR person. I've never seen that to pay off for anybody I know, no matter how much money they spend. So I don't think I'll go the traditional PR route. I have never found that to be impressive yet, but you know, open, who knows? Um, I'll also look into where Facebook groups are happening that have guests in Facebook lives. That's something that's come on my, um, radar as a great way to sell books. I don't know whether I'm going to do a book tour or not. I've got to decide pretty darn soon. Um, I've part of the result of writing this book has really been to reawaken my environmental uh, environmentalist that I mm. since I was little, and become really wanting to become much more of a stand for how we can joyfully approach and mitigate the climate crisis. And that has made me really aware of how flying is not great for the climate. So I don't know that I want to do a book tour. We are about to buy an electric car. We just got solar on our house and we are looking at doing an electric car tour. And my husband mapped it out. He's like, this is impossible. (laughs) We'll be able to drive 200 miles and have to stop for four hours. You're never going to be able to do it. And you're not, and I'm not good on directions. And so I'm like, uh, so yeah, so I'm in the early marketing phases. Um, Definitely have been looking at what Marie Forleo is doing. She has a new book, a self-help book coming out and she did a free course for five days as the upsell, not the upsell, the freebie that you get um, when you buy a copy of the book. So I'm thinking about doing something like that. So just looking at everything that's happening out there, I'm going to put together best practices. And then I'm going to devote myself for a full year to marketing. Fantastic. And I mean, all those things sound amazing. I would add, um, everyone listening is saying as well, I, I can hear them all saying uh, Amazon advertising. Is- oh, yes, yes, yes. And BookPub. Yeah. But BookPub. I can never say that. BookPub. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I would say Amazon ads. Um, you, you know, you can really only do a book bub when you put things on on a special, and um, so I imagine that'll be later on in the process. But yeah. Um, oh, and I was also going to say one of the benefits in terms of green publishing, print on demand, which is what obviously a lot of us mm-hmm. do when we self publish, is much greener than a lot of the big publishers' publishing practices. So um, you've made a green choice that way as well. I'm so happy. That makes me so happy. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay. So I mentioned retreats there and this is one of the big things that you are pretty famous for, I think. Um, You know, I've heard you on different podcasts talk about your retreats. I've never been on one, but they sound amazing. So what are the benefits um, of retreats and, you know, what have you learned about, you know, what works for writers on retreats? Mm, yeah, it's so funny. I I will say that I'm very, very good at creating these spaces and leading them. And w- I have had women coming back, not every year, but for 17 years on and off, you know, the wow. last few years. Yeah. So they've watched me grow. And I'm always like, what a weird skill I've developed. <laughs> You know, why couldn't I have gotten good at like banking or something that makes a lot of money? Um, but you know, well, we all have our our things, and um, so I think the most important thing for me in the retreats that I create is a sense of containment, so that people really feel like they can let go of the all the different thoughts and distractions and fears that pull at them and really settle in to a place of listening to their stories or their ideas. I think that's the most important thing. And then I, I, and I keep layering that and kind of 
holding them there. And that is amazing. And then the other thing I think, which I'm amazed at, because as I've said, I'm an introvert, is the community. The women who are drawn to these retreats and the way that I set it up so it's safe and there's some very you know, intentional ways that they talk to each other and when we're all together really allows them to feel seen. And I think when they feel seen and their words are are heard by other women without any commenting and any advice, it helps them take their own words on the page more seriously. Yeah. And it's so funny because I, I find that's the reason I haven't, I've only spoken on retreats. I've never been on one as kind of a, a participant. And part of that, I think, is the fact that I don't want to talk about things you know Mm -hmm. if I'm writing I just I just want to write so the the way they're structured like if people come on a retreat a writing retreat are they there to write or is it more of a self-care thing no no so it really depends like so it's set up for them to have a lot of writing time everybody's in silence there's different properties that I use but there's lots of different places that they go I am very clear about giving them help and encouragement. I'm on call during writing time for brief coaching. I'm all about the writing, but I find that a percentage of my people aren't. They're really, for them, it's an, I don't want to say excuse in a bad way. It's like a cover. It's a cover story for them to come and be with themselves. And that used to really make me mad because I was like, no, this is about writing. But then I realized, hey, you know, everybody's in different places in their life. So one person who's come back for the last four years, she has a, uh, severely developmentally disabled daughter who's who's been caring for for over 30 years, who's had a series of um, really malpractice incidents with three different incidents and has become, you know, just completely incapacitated, the daughter, because of these. And she comes and writes about it. And will she ever write a book about it? I don't know. I mean, I've coached her. I've given her different ideas. I think there is a possibility of of a really good book there. I love the idea she came up with this last time, but I think she comes for the self-care, for the camaraderie, and to use these experiences and get them out of her in writing. And that feels very as, as valuable to me as, as the people who have come to finish a book. You know, they don't want anything to do with what else is going on. They just want to scroll away and finish their book. And I'm like, that's great too. So I get a real range. Mm. And yeah, it sounds very healing. And of course, we all know writing can heal us from all kinds of things. I definitely found myself very healed by writing this book that I just sent off today. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I, w- I wanted to come back to that because I had another question that, c- that came up as you were talking. You wrote this as a memoir, this very, mm-hmm. very big memoir, and you <laughs> you then decided that that was going to fail. I think you oh. actually used the word fail. Mm-hmm. So what, what did you mean by fail and how did you know that that memoir would fail? I hired uh, Jenny Nash, who's a book coach, to read it. And she took, she, poor woman, <laughs> she took her three days to write me the email to say, you know, she didn't know, she had known me as, you know, my professional. And she was so like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm going to read Jen's memoir. This is going to be incredible. <laughs> and then I, you know, about 50 pages and I think she was like, oh shit. <laughs> um, so it didn't work as a narrative arc. I basically, which is, ended up serving this book perfectly, but it was a series of these times in my life when I got stuck. And so it ended up reading somewhere like, and then this happened and then this happened instead of what I teach anyone who's writing memoir, you have to pick a time slice. And there's the one thing that you didn't know at the beginning that, you know, at the end, and you have to take us on that journey to learn that and not learn it as in knock us over the head, but show us. So we have the experience of it. And I did not do that at all. I threw in the kitchen sink. (laughs) But it's very, and I'm glad to hear you hired an editor because this is, it's so difficult to see Mm -hmm. our own work, especially memoir, because it's so close to you. Yes, yes. I had hired a book coach before and she had, the last thing she told me, told me was, I can't think of anything to change. I think it's incredible. I think it's working. So be careful who you hire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, there is that. And, you know, sometimes several people, especially when it's something so personal. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm very excited about why bother. I mean, it sounds like you've been working on it for so long. (laughs) I I know, I know some of the scenes. I'm like, wow, that is such good writing. And I'm like, do you know why that's such good writing? How many years did it take you to write that scene? (laughs) Well, I think sometimes that's the way it's going to go. Like this other, this other site, Books and Travel, I'm starting to write travel memoir. And, you know, I've got 
behind me as, as we talk I've got about 50 journals from wow. the last like 35 years or whatever and I, I'm going through them and just going oh my goodness and and it feels like such a big project but I'm very encouraged I'm, I am actually encouraged by your story and I will write a memoir at some point but I'm not sure when it's gonna be <laughs> well you're young you got plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming up on 45 <laughs> wow that seems so young to me <laughs> oh, no, that's encouraging too now I just yeah. did just want to circle back to the retreat because mm-hmm. as you said uh, in a very green eco way um, of course your retreats are in America and mm-hmm. um, many people might not be able to travel um, for a retreat they might not have the budget um, so what can people do in their home environment mm-hmm. or locally that can give them the benefit of a retreat? Oh my gosh, you totally can do it for yourself. When I was uh, midway through the Why Bother book, I knew I needed to get away from all my, you know, my clients and my students and the internet and, and my sweet and loving husband. And I took my dog and and myself and we he helped me find a cabin. And I went up to almost like, I think it was almost 11,000 feet, a cabin off the grid, no internet, no cell phone service solar. And I spent five days just running and writing and writing. I I wrote 16,000 words. So what you need to do, and you don't have to go away. You can do this at home. You need to create that container for yourself. Like I do for people on retreat. What is off limits? What are you shutting off? What are you not going to do? What's the, you got to give yourself some structure, some form. Um, So for me, it was just, it was five days, 16,000 words. I will run every day. And I will follow what I want the rest of the time. So if I feel like taking a nap, I'll take a nap. If I, I brought all kinds of healthy food with me, I made sure I didn't bring any alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bring a lot of sugar because I know both of those things are not good for my brain. And um, so you can create what are the boundaries for you that are really going to nurture you? Is it turning off the Internet? Is it, if you don't have the funds, maybe a friend has, is going out of town and you can go to their house where their dirty dishes won't matter as much to you as your dirty dishes do. So you can completely create it for yourself. I've done this repeatedly and it can be absolutely magical. Although I have to say that cabin was particularly lovely, <laughs> much better than my own office. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that. I mean, even just today I went to a local cafe and I can't do creative work here where I'm talking to you. This is my office. This is where I do businessy things and marketingy things and podcasting. And but my creative work, I have to do it somewhere else. Um uh, so I think change even if people are in their own home, even just moving rooms might kind of change things a bit. Absolutely. You could you could be like, okay, Saturday, everybody's out of the house. So my retreat begins when the when I hear them say goodbye and go out the front door to catch the bus. And I ask my family to help me get the house cleaned up Friday night. And then I'm going to be in, let's say you have a guest room or the living room. I'm going to buy myself flowers. When they, when I, when they leave the door, I unplug, when they leave out the door, I unplug the internet. You know, you give yourself like, yes, this is my opening. This is my beginning. My retreat begins. And then my, and then what's the structure? I'm going to make sure I write this many words. I'm going to copy these sentences from books that I love. I'm going to cover the walls with post-it notes for my, you know, my narrative arc, you know, give yourself a list of possible things to play with. And the retreat ends when they come back in the door and I plug back in the um, router. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so glad you said buy yourself flowers then. I don't think we've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but I buy myself flowers all the time. (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's one of the things I missed for 20 years. I lived in California and oh my gosh, I miss the flowers. They are not the same in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got lovely mountains and stuff, right? Yeah, we do. We do. We do. I can see a 14,000 foot peak from my office if I lean out one corner of the (laughs) window. (laughs) Wow, that's beautiful. Right. Well, we are out of time and I I really appreciate you coming on today. I, I think that this is such an important topic and I love that after, what, 30 odd years of writing and publishing and putting your work out there you're you're still learning lessons and still sharing them so um thank you for doing that and where can people find you and everything you do online yeah it's very easy everything's at jennifer loudon l-o-u-d as in dog en.com and i have a great freebie that is uh, all about getting unstuck it's towards creatives and writers so if you're feeling stuck that can be really helpful 
And yeah, and you can find out about my retreats. We open retreats in um, mid-October. They do always sell out, but then if, if for any reason you don't get in, we usually have one or two people drop out through the course of the year and a spot open up. So to what 2020 will be coming up. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jen. That was great. Oh, thank you. So I hope you found the interview with Jen interesting today and that it made you think about how you treat yourself and value your creativity. So next week, I'm talking about PR with Dana Kay and why getting press coverage can build your brand and what has changed over time with book marketing. So if you've seen Dana speak at one of the writers conferences in the US, as I have, you'll know she's very experienced in working with authors and she has some original marketing tips that we'll be talking about next week. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>